Hey everybody, I've got some exciting news here at the top of the episode. Peace Country Beef and Forage Association will be hosting Greg Judy up here in June. Uh, June 13th at the Hanson Ranch in Valley View and June 17th at the Bonanza Hall. We will have Greg Judy up here to do some pasture walks to talk about how to think like a grazer, fencing and watering techniques, and managing animal performance. Uh, so if you're interested in that, definitely head over to peacecountrybeef.ca slash gregjudy. The link will also be down in the description. This will also be part of a larger tour that Greg is doing in Alberta. So if you're in Alberta or maybe even in BC or uh, in Saskatchewan, there may be a tour close to you. Uh, and all of those uh, tour stops can be found down in the description or you can find them on PCBFA's website as well. So, yeah, thank you for listening and uh, enjoy the episode. Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Coffee, Cows, and Crops. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Greg Judy, a regenerative rancher and rotational grazer from Missouri, about his operation and some of his practices. But before we get into all the fun stuff, Greg, would you like to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about where you farm? Yeah, well, thank you, Joanna. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, we're uh, in central Missouri, my wife Jan and I. We run a regenerative ranching operation here. Uh, it's dead center of the state. So we're halfway between St. Louis and Kansas City. Uh, typical rolling type hills, um, lots of timber, pretty thin soils here, but it's really been conducive for us for grazing. And so we set up a grazing you know, operation here back in 19, oh gosh, I think it was 1991 is when I first started and then kind of got more serious about it, you know, later as we went. And uh, that's how we kind of started, though, was uh, just um, just starting it from scratch and kind of building our way up and making mistakes along the way and adapting and changing. Awesome. Actually, just to tangent right away, you say timber. We have a lot of forested pasture up here, like we're right up in the boreal forest region. Uh, difference being we've got some real heavy clays that we contend with, but maybe to start off with, we can talk a little bit about grazing forested ground or grazing ground that you're trying timber harvest off of and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, we call that uh, type grazing civil pasture. A civil pasture is a really big buzzword now. There's a lot of people starting to talk about it and we've been developing civil pasture for probably around 10 to 12 years now. And to give you an idea, scope of our operation, Joanna, we've got 19 farms. Mm -hmm. uh, we lease most of those. I think we own five of them now. And they consist of 1,900 acres. So of the 1,900, there's about um, 850 to 900 of that's grass. Right. Or you might say open pasture. The rest is all mixed brush and trees and creeks and such. 
And so anywhere we have the terrain where we can go in and remove unwanted or undesirable trees and open up the canopy, uh, we will do that. And we're always looking at, you know, enlarging grazing areas by leaving trees for shelter, but removing the unwanted trees and, you know, we're getting products out of that. We're getting, of course, you get the uh, saw, the saw lumber. Mm-hmm. We get, of course, firewood. And another one we got into, Joanna, was uh, shiitake mushroom logs. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, I'm cutting all these trees and I'm like, man, you can only use so much firewood, you know. And so I thought, wait a minute, we can grow food. So we're growing mm-hmm. food from trees. And today uh, we've got around 4,000 logs. And uh, of course, you have to inoculate them and keep them back in the, you know, out of the sunlight. But it's that's something we got into probably around eight years ago. And so we're always looking at developing more civil pasture. And I tell you what, it's the, the animals in the in the woods like that, where you get sunlight coming down the forest floor. It's uh, they enjoy it in there, especially in the summertime when it's hot. You know, they get some shade. And in the wintertime, there's shelter there. So for sure. And I, I like developing it. It's it's neat. It's a it's an interesting way to to manage animals once you get those trees involved. Yep. Uh, where I grew up is a lot more open prairie. So coming up here to the boreal forest is it's interesting to see what that changes and what it doesn't change. Right. Right. So to start us off with, there are more and more people getting into regenerative ranching and agricultural practices and stuff. And like most things in agriculture, everybody's got a little bit different idea of how things, what, what things mean. So how do you define regenerative ranching? To me, regenerative ranching is, you know, if you look at the, the, the true term of it, we're trying to regenerate broken down soils. So I told you we've got 19 farms. Most of those farms, Joanna, when we got them, they wouldn't grow grass. They were growing cedars, moss, mm-hmm. um, broom sedge, which is a very, uh, you don't want that grass. <laughs> we call it bankruptcy. Um, so we had some really thin soils and all of our farms are clay. It's a, it's a clay soil base, mm-hmm. but it's got a very thin topsoil. So for us to stay in business, and to actually increase our stocking rate and have a future for the next generation, we've got to build these soils back. And so to me, regenerative means build back and, or you'll build up on what you have. You're always trying to get it better. And with the cost of inputs today skyrocketing, we need to learn to use animals. We, we, we've got to use the ruminant animals to help us in that journey because you can't go out here and spend, you know, it's easy to spend a lot of money on, on, you know, soil improvement. And we've got these wonderful animals that have this great big fermentation tank and they got four hooves and they also give us a baby every year, you know, a baby calf or whatever, or maybe it's sheep, you know, give you twin lambs. So we've got the, we've got the animals, we call them our tools. We've got to learn the management style to use these animals to build soil. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I got a little long winded there, but <laughs> I get a little passionate about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good thing in the podcast. It's great. So like you say, a big part of regenerative agriculture focuses on working with the natural systems and instead of against them. So uh, on your operation, can you talk a little bit more 
ramble a little bit more about how all that works. Yeah, so what we're doing is we're using a process, what we call plan grazing. Some people call it mob grazing, managed grazing. Basically, what we're doing is we're taking our cow herd and we're adjusting their stock and density. In other words, how tight we have them, depending on what time of the year. And uh, we move our animals twice a day. So we, we move it. We've got one herd. Uh, it ranges from, well, in the wintertime, it might be 300. In the summertime, we may get up to 400, 450. But we're always varying that. And so with these animals constantly being moved across the landscape, we're using this mob effect. See, when you get animals tighter together, they all of a sudden throw selection out the window. They just eat. And that's because if you don't eat it, Joanna, if I don't eat it, you're going to. Okay, it's mm -hmm. a competition. And so you get a lot more even graze. You get a lot more manure and urine distribution. And you're getting the kinetic energy from the hoof. See, when the hooves touch the ground, they actually drive energy. They drive energy into the soil and it wakes up all the microbes. And so that's what we're about is trampling, trying to get some of this carbon, carbon being anything that's organic, letting the animals trample that on the ground to feed our soil microbes. So instead of us looking at ourselves as grass farmers, I like to think of myself as a soil microbe farmer. Because if it starts in the soil, if you'll focus on the soil and get that healed, the soil feeds the plants. The healthy plants feed healthy animals. Healthy animals feed healthy people. Awesome. And a lot of regenerative agriculture includes like adapting and modifying practices to work in, in your environment. So in your opinion, what are the most important factors to consider when you're implementing new practices or considering a new enterprise or something like that? Well, there's several factors. First of all, you have to have control. You have to have control of the animals. And I go on to so many farms, you know, they don't have the adequate water resources. Uh, they're making the animals maybe walk too far. They're getting trailing. The animals aren't being moved quickly enough. And so they're not getting the graze, the proper graze on the plants. It's not the first bite from a plant that hurts it. It's that second and third bite. And on the same plant. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to be moving these animals. And without fence and water, you can't do it. And so many people want to, they talk, oh, you know, it just almost makes my stomach turn to see some of the people say they're doing regenerative ranching on YouTube. I'm like, that's not regenerative ranching. That's nuking it. I mean, they're just, I mean, there's, it looks like a golf course out there. Like, how do you call that regenerative ranching? But anyway, you've got to take care of your plants. You got to take care of the animals. And I want to cover something here. When you start using animals to heal the land, you've got to be careful because you are dealing with a live, breathing animal. So animal performance, and you'll hear me talk about that a lot. I'll be talking a lot about that on my Canadian field trips is, you know, you have got to maintain animal performance. And if you lose animal performance, you will go broke. So you've got to make sure you're taking care of the animal and you're healing. So many people get so focused on using the animals and they, oh my gosh, look at my land and it's getting better. And I trampled and I made them eat this where they wouldn't eat it before because I got them tight enough. And they forgot one thing. They didn't move them fast enough and the animals suffered. And so if you don't give an animal enough to eat on a daily rotation, 
uh, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you bad. And that's because your cows are not going to breed back or possibly your sheep. Your ewes will get thin enough. They may not breed back on, on schedule. So you've got to be careful. And now I'm going to cover that in depth because I don't want people to make the mistake that I did. I made that mistake um, early on and it's easy to do because you can get these animals in there and it's unbelievable what they can do to a piece of ground, but you got to remember <laughs> to, and, and I'm going to show that I'm going to show that, that this, the telltale signs of overgrazing and, and not giving your animals uh, proper nutrition. Yep. I've got great, great slides and pictures to show of that. I'm really looking forward to that. That's going to be fun. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and speaking of animal performance and that sort of stuff, I know a big part of your herd development has been selecting for animals that perform well on your specific operation and in your environment. So what sort of qualities do you consider most important when you're evaluating an animal's suitability for your operation? Yeah. So you're, you know, the livestock that you bring onto your farm, it needs to be able to adapt and thrive in your environment. And so what I mean by that is it needs to be suited to your soil type, your temperature, and your management style. And we have found, Joanna, as we've moved along, we've been doing this quite a few years now, the animals that we started with are not the animals we have today. Uh, we started with animals that had, you know, way, way too much body frame on them. I mean, we had some seven frame animals, uh, legs, uh, uh, way too much leg on our animals. I've learned to hate leg. I hate a big, long leg on an animal. I really do. Uh, the, you know, some of the feedlots, well, you got to have some leg underneath them. Well, you can keep that leg. Give me the gut. You know, I want an animal that's got a big gut on it because if they don't have a big gut, they don't have a fermentation tank to hold the grass the forage um, in the wintertime, you know, when they're out grazing, of course, it depends where you're at. Maybe up in Canada, if the, the snow is really deep, you can't graze. But I talked to a lot of Canadians up there when I was up there in December. And, you know, it sounds to me like a lot of them didn't get the snow that we get down here. So I think there's an opportunity to graze in Canada. It depends what part of Canada, of course, mm -hmm. if you've got five foot of snow, it's not going to happen. But we, uh, we target as many days of grazing of the year as possible. And you can do that if you get the right, the right body frame animal. And so on a cow, we're looking for a large gut. We're also looking for a, a really nice front end on the cow. We want a big butt on the cow because if she's got a big butt, she's going to be easy calving. If you got a thin butt on the cow, she's going to have trouble calving. And so Joanna, you have got to be the predator. you got to be the predator in your herd and constantly be calling animals. You'll never have a herd any better than what you call for. If you set your bar real low, and, oh, you know, Betsy, I love you to death. You didn't give me a calf this year. I'll try and get one out of you this fall. <laughs> and you keep her. Well, what did you do? You, you fed her for another five, six months. She didn't give you a calf, but you're going to give her a second chance. You can't do that. So it is a business. You can't, don't name your animals. That's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't name them. Yeah, don't name them because you, you, when it comes time to get rid of them, you're going to have a trouble doing that. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. 
Oh, I wanted to go back to uh, to sheep a little bit because I know you talked a little bit about this when you were up in December, um, introducing sheep to your operation and kind of your your philosophy for managing sheep. But uh, can you talk through kind of that process of deciding to go into sheep and and why you went with sheep over other animals? Yeah, so sheep are an unbelievable complement to cattle, first of all. Sheep and cattle just go together like, you know, uh, ice cream and apple pie, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to have some ice cream when you have an apple pie. It's the same with cattle and sheep. Um, the sheep will make your cow pastures better. And the way they do that is they go, th they go through behind the cows. We don't run the sheep with the cows. If all of our farms fastened on and they're all together in one farm, I would have a flirt. I would. I'd have the sheep and the cattle together, but we don't have that. We've got to walk cows down these. We've got you know a big mob, and we walk it down these county roads. We're going past houses all the time. And, of course, all the houses have dogs, mm. and we have guardian dogs. And our guardian dogs, if we had them with the cows, they would absolutely kill, <laughs> kill all of our neighbors' dogs. So that's not the way. That's not the way to build good neighbors. No. But what I'm going after here is sheep actually can ingest the parasite from the cow. A cow parasite can be ingested into a sheep. It's a dead end host. It can't complete its life cycle. A cow can ingest the sheep parasite. And it doesn't affect the cow at all. It's a dead end. It's a dead end host. So both of those species are acting like magnets. They're sucking up each other's parasites. And the sheep go after the woody, thorny, uh, the the invasive brush that comes into a cow pasture. Weeds. One of the biggest ones here in Missouri is called ironweed. Mm. I mean, it can just absolutely take over a cow pasture in July and August. Well, guess what? Sheep think that's like ice cream. They eat all the leaves off of ironweed. I used to hate ironweed. I mean, I did. I just hated it. But today, I, everyone I see, I'm like, oh, sheep feed, sheep feed, sheep feed. I don't, you know, I'm growing lambs. I'm growing lambs now with ironweed, which used to be a nuisance. All of a sudden, it's not a nuisance anymore. It's food. It's a really good food. And here's the thing about uh, what the sheep eat. The sheep eat a lot more broadleaves, and some of these weeds and brush that they eat have really deep tap roots. So the, these deeper tap roots are mining the minerals deep in the soil up on top of these leaves. Mm -hmm. Well, sheep eat the leaves, poop out on top of the ground, and now those minerals are accessible to the grass. Right. So it, it's a win-win deal. It's a win-win deal. There you go. And Joanna, at the end of the day, the sheep give you another farm enterprise. I mean, to me, you bought the land, you got it fenced, you've got a water out there. Why not throw some sheep out there? It gives you another enterprise to sell. It's another marketing venue. And mm -hmm. I'm telling you what, sheep are so hot now in the Midwest. It's unbelievable. I mean, it is. It's one of the best. We sell out. We sell all of our breeding stock in January. They're not even born yet, okay? And people put down deposits in January. We normally sell out in five to seven days. Yeah, and we just keep raising our price. And 
you know, the old guy from Africa that helps me with my grading school, Ian Mitchell Ennis, I was complaining to him the other day, and he goes, Greg, that's your fault. I'm like, what do you mean it's my fault? Well, I said, you got your price too low. You should always keep inventory. If you run out of inventory, that's your fault. You had your price too low. <laughs> I'm like, but Ian, have we already got our price way up? They said, yeah, you got it too low. If <laughs> you ran out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't argue with him, you know, but I kind of feel bad. We're, we probably, well, we, we get a lot of money for a ULAM. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, I guess on that note, success is a bit of a subjective measurement for a lot of folks. Um, it looks different to a lot of people. So how do you measure success on your operation? Success is making a profit every single year and paying a lot of taxes to the government. <laughs> I do. I pay a lot of yep. taxes. And I'll tell you what, Joanna, starting out, um, I didn't pay any taxes because we weren't making any money. But now mm -hmm. I pay a lot of taxes. And, you know, it's just part of the deal. Um, if you make a lot of money, you pay a lot of taxes. And I don't have a problem with that. So... It just took me a little while to get over it. It was sticker shock. I, I went to my CPA. I'm like, what? I got to give this to you. You got to give it to the government. Anyway, um, so my my definition of a successful ranch is bringing the next generation on. And so we have an internship program. And now we do have a, a ranch manager full-time. I've just got another young fellow. He worked here for a year as an intern. We hired him on full-time. So We've got some young men and we have an intern. It's an internship for a full year. And then we find them a job when they leave here. We supply the housing, uh, the food, and uh, we pay, you know, of course, it doesn't cost them anything to live up here. And um, they make a pretty good wage and they learn, they, they learn all the methods that we're using here on the farm so that in their future, if they would ever leave here, or for, of course the interns do, um, they take that expertise with them and it's with them their whole life. Mm -hmm. And that's what we teach people. When you come here, you've got to make a living. And I'm going to tell you straight up, profit is not a dirty word. And you have got to make a profit, Joanna, or you're off the farm. Absolutely. You, you hear all this stuff. You hear all this stuff about this, all oh, green this and green agenda this, and we got to heal the world. You're not going to heal nothing. If you don't make a profit, you're not. Mm -hmm. The bank's going to throw you off the land. You're not going to be on the land anymore. So unless you make a profit, I'm sorry. Everything else just goes out the door. So number one, and everybody says, well, money is not the end all of all. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't make money, Joanna, I'm not here talking to you. I'm serious. You know, and I instill that in my interns. I look, the most important thing at the end of the day is you've got to make a profit, guys. And I know... There's other things more important in life than money, but if you're going to be a farmer and you're going to control a piece of property and you're going to run livestock on it, you better figure out a way to make it pay. Mm -hmm. May not be the end all be all, but it's the end of a lot of things when you run out of it. Well, it is. Absolutely. It certainly is. Well, I think that makes, that makes good sense to me anyway. And just a, just a fun question too, uh, to follow that one up. What's your favorite thing about your operation? The favorite thing in my operation is 
Well, the absolute favorite is in the morning <laughs> or evening when we go move the animals onto a fresh, rested green pasture. And all you can hear is just the tongues ripping the grass off. You don't hear any cows bawling. You don't hear any calves bawling. Everything's got its head to the ground. It's just ripping large mouthfuls of grass off of their tongue. And you just can feel the energy. You can feel the energy out in front of you. And the cows almost have a smile on their face when they walk past you. That's my favorite time. That's my favorite thing in this whole deal. I mean, I love seeing happy animals. I love seeing healthy animals. And if they're happy and healthy, guess what? I am too. There you go. That's awesome. (laughs) Oh, another question for you. We have talked a little bit about grazing as long as you can and that sort of thing. But when it comes to winter feeding and stuff, do you have any thoughts on that stuff? Yeah, so for winter feeding, um, we're very fortunate here in the Midwest. Um, We live in an area they call the fescue, the fescue belt. It runs from, oh, basically eastern Kansas all the way to the east coast. Uh, It goes north and south. It doesn't go all the way down to the Gulf, but it'll go down into Arkansas and parts of Alabama. But fescue is a unique grass. It stays green all winter long. Um, The lower portions do. Now, the tops will turn brown, but that bottom third or two-thirds of that plant will stay green. And it is the most valuable resource we have on our farm in the wintertime because we can stockpile it. So what we do is we're very careful in the fall when we're grazing around our farm, just taking the tips off, the tips of the plants. So our cows are getting super fat Mm -hmm. going into fall because they're just taking the tops. But also by doing that, we keep moving around our whole farm like that. We graze around our farms twice in the wintertime. So the first pass around is, you call it dormant season, in other words, the plants are no longer growing. We go around the farm that first pass and the cows are taking the very best. The second pass would be like in end of February, 1st of March, we've got to give them a bigger area because the cows took a lot of the candy grass on that first pass. But you know what I found, Joanna? Those cows, even on the second pass, grazing through that fescue, they're so happy grazing that versus me feeding them hay. So it's our challenge to make sure we don't run out of fescue all winter long. Now, how do you do that? Well, this last fall, 2022, we didn't get any rain. We didn't get any rain to speak of. And so we got into a really dry period. And so we knew we were going to be dry. So you you manage with what you have. Plan for what you want, but manage for what you have. And I knew how much forage we had in front of us. And so we started selling off some older cow-calf pairs to lighten up our stocking rate. So we weren't carrying so many cows through the winter. And we sold all the steers, the older steers. We didn't winter any steers. And then um, we bought in some hay. Now, the hay was used sparingly to stretch out our stockpile. So all the hay that we don't, we don't put up any hay. We don't put up any hay on any of our farms. We buy it. There's a lot of people that love to bale hay. I'm gonna let them bale it. 
and we will buy it. And so we bring that hay onto our properties, usually in August, September, and we'll have the bales already placed around the various farms. So as a rotating in the wintertime, let's say we get into a snowstorm. You know, we catch a couple of feet of snow, which is very rare, but it can happen. Well, if you got hay already out there, all you've got to do is walk your cows to the nearest haystack, grab a bale and unroll it. We, we are really emphatic about unrolling hay. Um, it's probably the best fertilizer tool that we have on our farm besides the cow pooping. Uh, by spreading the hay out across the landscape, the cows are pooping and peeing and stomping and laying on it. And people say, but Greg, hay's too precious. It's too expensive to waste. They're not wasting that hay. They're building soil. They're feeding the earthworms. And you can tell it, Joanna, right where you unroll the hay, go out there the next spring and look where that, that, that line was. You put that hay down. The grass is going to be thicker. It's going to be greener and it's going to be taller and there's going to be more diversity in it. And when you turn cows in on that paddock, they're going to go to that strip. They're going to go to that strip. You know why? Because there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of energy in that soil and, that, and the cows can detect which grass has the highest energy level in it. And they'll always graze the high energy plants out first and then they'll go back and graze the other stuff. That makes sense. So yeah, you need to graze, you really need to graze as long in the winter as you can. And I don't have a sacrifice paddy. Let me cover that. So what's a sacrifice paddy? Well, here in Missouri, we can get a warm spell in any month, December, January, February. I mean, it can get up into the 60s. And if you've had some rains and the freeze goes out of your ground, all you got is a bunch of muck. I mean, it can really get ugly quick. And so by moving the animals on this fescue, that's the other thing about fescue. It has a tremendous root system underneath it. So it can hold up a cow. Well, let's talk about holding up cows in the wintertime. We don't have big cows anymore. You know, our cow size is around 1,000 pounds, 900 to 1,000 pounds. And that pays huge dividends in the wintertime. If we had 1,500-pound cows, Joanna, we would have to have a sacrifice paddy because those cows would plow. Those 1,500-pound cows would plow our farms. It would look like you took a root plow through. And all you're going to grow the next year is the big crop of weeds. Yep. That makes sense. All right. Is there anything else that we've missed that you'd like to chat about? I guess the other thing would be um, marketing. We talk a little bit about marketing. Mm. Um, if you're going to sell a product from your farm, I think it has to be the best. And how do you know it's the best? Well, part of that is your management. And it does take years. It takes a lot of calling, uh, getting rid of inferior animals that can't handle your management system and so how do, you, how do you set that baseline? Well, you've got to set a baseline on your farm of management that allows you to make a profit. And to me, that's no grain. We feed no grain. Now, I'm not against feeding grain. It's just that we can't make any money doing it. And I'll be darned if I'm going to do something all year long and not make a dime. There's a, I've got neighbors there. They feed grain all year round. 
um, to specifically in the wintertime, you see the feed trucks rolling in their feeding grain and they're the ones screaming they didn't get enough money for their calves. You know, well, I didn't make any money. Well, no, you fed all your calf crop up in that grain feeder over there. So one thing I think people don't realize is cows are herbivores. They are not grainivores. They were, de they were developed and, and designed by someone very sharp <laughs> to eat forage and turn it into meat. And Joanna, you and I can't do that. Mm -hmm. We can eat grass until we fall over and die. A cow can eat grass and put on weight, grow a calf inside her, and feed the calf that's sucking on her all at the same time. Now, you show me another product that can do that. Yeah. There is, there is not one. There, there isn't one. And so the herbivore is absolutely a divinely engineered machine, and nobody's using it. Nobody's using this machine. Yeah. Oh, we got to feed them grain. We got to feed them grain. We need feed loss. We got to get them bigger. You got to raise more corn. We got to raise more of this. No, just raise grass. Keep your soil covered. Keep your soil covered. Uh, this is a big deal in the States now. I mean, there's people killed uh, last week in Illinois. Huge, huge wreck. Croppers out there cropping in all the bare soil, and they got a big wind. Dust storm came along, and I think there's 30-some vehicles piled up, you know, eight or 10 people killed, 25 rushed to the hospital in helicopters. And it's all because the croppers don't cover their soil. I mean, you don't think we can get a dust bowl back again? I've already been in one. It's scary. We were in New Mexico last year. I was on a job out there. We got in a dust storm. Let me tell you what, that was one scary deal. Uh, going along 70 mile an hour, you can't see a semi in front of you. So we need to protect our soul. We need to keep it covered. And how do you keep it covered? Keep grass on it. <laughs> so back to marketing. I'm sorry I got off line there a little bit. But for marketing, you got to you got to raise a really good product. Consumers need to value it as a good product. And part of that is you. You have got to work on your marketing and I don't think there's any better way than social media. And that's got to be either Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Um, I don't do uh, some of the others. I, I guess there's a thing called TikTok. I, I've never done TikTok. Oh, what's the, you know, there's, there's other, there's a few other platforms out there, but if you're not good at social media, find somebody that is. People need to find out who you are and what you're doing. And you've got to be, you know, mm -hmm. once you get a following, don't let those people down. You know, you need to tell them what you're doing. You need to tell them what the animals are doing. You need to tell them why you're doing what you're doing. And pretty soon people start tuning in to you. Um, to give you an idea, <laughs> this I just talked to a guy, I just sold a load of steers today off our farm because we're in drought. And I'm very conservative. Mm -hmm. I got rid of a semi load of steers this morning. I was talking to the guy and um, <laughs> that bought him, and he's one of the largest uh, grass fed producers in Indiana. And he goes, Yeah, he said, we, we market these steers. We tell our customers we have a little link where you order the meat. There's a little page there. You can click on it and donate. If you, and it's a percent, it's a tip, it's a tip jar. 
to keep a steer from going into a feedlot. In other words, if you give a $6 tip when you buy a steer from them, that helps them buy more grass-fed steers, which is another one that didn't end up in a feedlot. He's raised a ton of money on that, and that's what he uses to buy his steers with. Hmm. Now, that's th that's thinking outside the box, okay? Sure is. It, but there's this, uh, where I'm going with that, Joanna, I'm not against feedlots. I think you know, we need a few maybe, but we don't need the feedlots we have. The, the number of them, I think we'd be better off we keep the cattle out on the landscape, you know, for a longer term of their life. I think the animals would be better, the human population would be better, and the land would definitely be better. But where I'm going with that is he found a niche. And it, whether you like it or not, customers care about the animals. Mm -hmm. Did you know that? I've heard rumors. They do. They do. And if they'll eat a piece of meat if they know it was raised from a happy animal. Mm -hmm. In other words, that animal led a happy life. Well, that's thinking outside the box. You need to grab that. I don't care if you are a feedlot guy. Maybe, maybe run the cleanest feedlot in Canada. I don't know. Plant some trees out there. <laughs> Clean up your image. You know, I'm serious. I mean, you've got to change what you're doing a little bit. Throw a little different curve to it. Yeah. So that's been our success. I mean, we're telling a story, and I'm in people's living rooms five days of the week. And how do I do that? I do it through YouTube. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've went from 20 subscribers today. We're over 108,000. That's 108,000. We're hitting 3.6 million uh, minutes uh, a month now. You know, that's a lot of people watching a lot of what we're putting out there. And so those are customers. Those are all potential customers. Mm -hmm. So I think we as farmers, as, as a rule of thumb, Joanna, we like to raise stuff, but we don't like to market it. Yeah. And so we need to find somebody that is willing to do that, or you need to learn how to do that. I think that makes good sense. It's definitely a piece I hear lots of people talk about. It's nobody likes to <laughs> nobody likes to do it all the time, but no, nobody wants to deal with the customers. They want to spend all the time with the cows or the sheep or out on the farm. And that's fine, but at the end of the day, when you go sell your calves and you walk out of that sale barn with, you know, this terrible frown because you just got what everybody else got, that's not a good day. It wasn't for me, and I did it. Joanna, I did it for quite a few years, and I always felt when I walked out of the sale barn, my calves were better. No, they weren't because nobody knew it. Nobody knew it. My calves were moved twice a day on green grass, but you know, once you bring them into that cell barn, they don't look any different than the other calves. And so those are calves are probably set stock. They were never moved in their life. And they that was it, you know. So you've got to tell your story. Definitely. Well, I think that's kind of all of my questions here. Good. Um, thank you so much for doing this with me this evening, Greg. You bet. Uh, for anybody who's curious to hear more, do you want to mention, yeah, what your website is, what your YouTube is? Yeah. So our, our website is greenpasturesfarm.net. And uh, if you want to tune into what we're doing on a daily basis, uh, the YouTube channel is uh, Greg Judy 
regenerative rancher. And all I ask is if you tune in, hit that subscribe <laughs> button. There you go. <laughs> it does help. It gets uh, you see the more the more subscribers you get, you and the more minutes watch, YouTube will start recommending you. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a message, Joanna, and more people need to hear it. We need to be louder than the people that are saying that cows are destroying the planet. For sure. You know, that vibe is going around out there, and it's, it's being brought on by a lot of very wealthy people. Mm -hmm. One of the wealthiest in the world, he hates cattle. Yep. And I always tell people, I'd love to get that guy, love to get him on our farm for one day. Yep. And just go around and show him our tree swallow houses, how happy our sheep and our cattle are. We're healing the soil. Our rivers, our, our creeks and banks are healed. A healthy water cycle, healthy populations of wildlife, and a healthy community. We're producing a lot of income in this area, and it's being distributed throughout the community. It's not, it's not all going to Bentonville, Arkansas. You go into Walmart, put your money in there, it ends up in Bentonville. Mm -hmm. Ours stays in Clark, Missouri, in the surrounding community. And that's what I'm about. I'm, I'm about supporting local. Yep. We need more people in the land, not less. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm excited about future of agriculture, John. Fantastic. And for anybody who's interested in hearing Greg Judy in person, we will have him up. We alluded to it earlier. We'll have him up in June for a tour up in Alberta. I'll have a link to all of the, the stops here in the description. And you can check out PCBFA's website. We'll have a page on there with our stop as well as uh all of the other stops he'll be making in alberta so be sure to be sure to check that out and other than that i think we'll call her a night all right i'm looking forward to it joanna jan and i are both looking forward to our trip to that area and uh visiting with farmers i think it's going to be a really good time fantastic we're really looking forward to having you up here so all right Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening!